My mission is for you guys to thrive. You need to be thriving. You need to be in an environment and help me foster an environment where this is dynamic, engaging, fun. You go home a better spouse, friend, um, partner. Because if that happens and you guys are thriving, we will hit that 10% goal. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Mr. Kevin Murphy, who is area president over at Gallagher, where he started there as an intern and rose to the president's role over 16 years. And we're going to dive in that, into that today. And Gallagher, which a lot of you may be already familiar with it, but they are the insurance risk management and consulting company. And he's a perennial 40 under 40 nominee in the markets that he served and has the distinction of having four boys under six years old. God bless his soul for that. Wow. Kevin, thank you for joining us today on Lead the Team. Welcome, sir. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Look forward to the discussion. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm so glad that our mutual friend, Admiral Scott Giberson, and by the way, he's he's episode 217 for those of you out there. He's got an amazing story where he and his team saved over 100,000 lives as he led and won with the Commission Corps of U.S. Public Health Safety. That's a mouthful, but yeah, great, great leader over there. Cool episode. And he's like, hey, you need to talk to Kevin. And so, man, I'm so glad we got together today. Um, and, and also, in looking at your background, I know that you've gone deep on studying the special forces and what their leadership's all about. Maybe give us give us a little bit of insight on that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been an amazing journey, kind of going deep in that world of of really you know performance management. But I got mm -hmm. exposed to the special forces community, Ben, um, you know, about 12 years ago. Um, doing nonprofit uh, leadership development work um, with local wow. leaders in, in West Africa and some um, emerging markets, teaching leadership strategies and and, um, ah. and trying to coach sustainable um, business practices and people management. And um, in those environments, um, naturally, there there was a lot of special forces activity. And so, getting to meet um, some of those circles, it you know, one connection begets another one, and and certainly. Um, Scott is an amazing, amazing human being. And, um, you know, he's no different than a lot of the tier one people, quote unquote, that I meet in that world mm -hmm. where they're able to take small and nimble teams and accomplish Herculean efforts. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, living in the business world where bureaucracy is king and huge teams exist, um, often only accomplishing maybe mediocre things. I was struck early on with the Scots of the world of saying, how, you know, how are you doing this much with this small of an operation, but yet a surgical approach? And, and I've tried to, um, to, to sit at their feet and learn as much as I can, because the last piece of it, like Scott in his episode, as you discussed and some of his peers, these are really what they call no fail missions, right? They don't have the opportunity to not succeed because mm -hmm. the cost is, is real and significant. And, Although we're not saving lives necessarily, I've, I've always been fascinated by saying, how can we take that same sort of sober mindedness to say failure is not going to be an option? We can do this and we're going to do it with a small and nimble team. And so 
the Scots of the world have taught me a ton, and I'm still amazed by 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 how they're leading businesses now, even outside special forces or, or the military. So it sounds like there's a story there. So <laughs> 16 years at Gallagher, and then you drop on me that you're in West Africa teaching leadership. So you know, what's the, yeah. what happened there? Right. Um, an amazing uh, person came into my life, a guy by the name of Ian Vickers, and, and, and Ian... Ian's a guy that has done amazing things throughout the world in the nonprofit world and professional world. And, and, um, and he had a vision through some connections as he was on the ground in you know, some of these environments to say, man, you know, if we can, if we can coach and expose leaders in emerging markets as they're stepping into new opportunities, new economic opportunities, creating new businesses, getting UN funding or whatever it is, um, you know, we take for granted all of the, the traditional exposure we have to leadership principles and business leadership and business acumen, all those sorts of things. And he noticed a deficiency there that he thought could really, you know, quite frankly, change lives, you know, create healthy businesses with thriving employees that then could sustain an economy. And I was fortunate enough to just intersect with him. And as he was telling me about what he was doing, I, I said, I got to, you know, be a part of it. And that started, um, um, a great process where just like anything else, I ended up learning way more um, than I ever gave. But um, but but that was a big, big pivotal moment um, mm. in my life, for sure, from a leadership perspective. And so then you traveled to West Africa. Yeah, West Africa. You, during Mali. Ebola? Were you over there during? No. The so, like, you know what? I wasn't okay. brave enough to do it, although I trust Scott, just not, you know, not that <laughs> Scott, much. Scott, you take right? it from here. OK. Yeah. Yes. I was like, you know what? You do your thing. And I'll come in and, you know, <laughs> yeah. after that uh, when yeah, you give me okay. the thumbs up. But um uh, <laughs> But no, yeah, Mali and, and Sogan, West Africa, amazing leaders mm. in government that 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 had that same vision to say, you know, we can both on the government side and on the business side raise up leaders mm. um, that could make us, you know, sustainable and create sustainable economies and um, and perpetuate, you know, generational leadership and things like that. And so, um, yeah, it was wow. it was amazing. It continues to be amazing. And um, mm. and he runs an operation called. Global Partners and Hope, and that's what um, okay. that's partners. what he's still doing today. So, you used the word intersection. I think maybe at least two times, maybe three times, where you you mentioned Scott, and then you mentioned the second uh, mentioned Ian. What is what do you do? Or maybe you don't know. I don't know. But you're 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 at the intersection. What's your advice for a leader? Like, what's magical about these intersections? Uh, you just discussed two big ones there uh, yeah. and, and how impactful has it been for you? It's a great question. And I've actually, you know, um, you know, through some of your interviews, this has come up as well. I mean, I think there's two things that have, that have just been so impactful for me um, in answering that question. The first is, you know, I've been impacted by the Ian's of the world and, um, you know, Scott or anybody else where, where they are, they are sacrificially giving their time um, and yeah. efforts to invite people into their world and, um, you know, and they don't have to do that. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and they're, they're sort of passing on opportunities, um, in a way that, um, that they don't guarantee anything back from me. Right. It's truly selfless. And so mm. you know, my intersections with, 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 with great opportunities to learn and to grow have come through, um, other leaders giving me their time and giving me opportunities and exposure. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is really, um, on the flip side of it, which is, you know, I'm I'm probably uh, uh, an extroverted, um, you know, person on the business side, but introverted when it comes to my personal life. And so 
Um, I had to to force myself to say yes to the phone call, to say yes to the coffee. Mm. And as I think back, you know, there were times I was, I don't really want to do it. I'm busy. I got these four kids or whatever it is. Um, but saying yes to those sessions, um, even mm. though I had no idea what was what was you know going to come out of them, um, were literally, you know, the difference between um, you know, big time trajectory for me. Right. And, and if I didn't take that coffee um, or if I didn't sometimes reach out and ask for advice or help or guidance, um, some of those things would have never been opportunities for me. Yeah, it sounds like you've taken a very proactive approach to relationship building, to, to like carpe diem, to, yeah. to seizing the day. And I want to, for those of you that might have missed the introduction here, so 16 years one company, fairly, I mean, young guy, and and you're already already hold, holding the area president role, but I've got one kid. You've got four under the age of six, so that means not a lot of sleep and a lot of reasons to say no to a lot of professional stuff because you need to be you're you're doing other other things. Yeah. What what, what drives you? Yeah, you know, relationship drives me. And the reason, you know, um, I say that is not because it drives me for some professional journey of, you know, of climbing a ladder, but, you know, kind of part and parcel to what we've talked about, um, you know, no coffee, no lunch, no breaking of bread ever comes just stock generic with what I think it's going to deliver, right? When you start okay. hearing people's story um, and hearing their journeys and um, and seeing what they're doing, you know, you know, you know, we may look someone up on LinkedIn or you know a business card title, um, but when you're really investing deeply in a relationship, you just pull out so much um, that that has a massive impact both personally and professionally, right? So, you know, most of the 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 transcendent leadership moments I've had of of, of an idea or or a pivot to make have been through very nondescript. Um, relationship sessions of just kind of doing life with somebody or mm. uh, or having that coffee. So, what's been of what's been one of your more memorable moments of transcendence over meeting or coffee? Yeah, I mean, so you know, I'll never forget this um, this coffee that I had. Uh, golly, it was it was in 2011, and mm. um, and it was with my you know boss at the time. And, um, and it was just one of those check-ins, right? And so for me as a younger guy, it's like, okay, you know, let me give kind of the rundown of what I'm doing and, you know, maybe he'll ask some generic questions. Um, but, um, but for whatever reason that day, um, I had a, you know, I'm an international politics and diplomacy guy, you know, from, from school and Texas and A&M, right? Texas A&M, right. yep. And I, I went was, to Bama. I don't, I don't want to mess, I don't okay. mess our well, story I have up nothing to say right now. Maybe one day I will. <laughs> All right, continue so we'll, on with your story. We'll come yeah, back we'll to the college stuff. Um, but I was seeing our company grow globally a lot. And this mm -hmm. was, you know, and I'm a young guy, and um, and this was not on the check-in agenda. Um, but um, but I just, I just, you know, had some conviction about communicating to that direct report that, hey, I see us growing globally. I see all the things we're doing. I'm just me in this position, but I got to tell you, I would just love to learn more about that. It's a passion point of mine. Um, and, um, and man, if, if, if you guys are ever sitting around that, that, that executive, you know, you know, meeting and are needing someone to roll up your sleeves and help, yeah, I'd love to do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. that, um, that, that boss, 
kind of said noted, got it. Um, and, um, and I didn't expect much to come from it, but sure enough, I got a phone call probably six months later. It says, you'll never believe it. I was sitting around that table and we were having one of our executive committee meetings. And, um, we just, you know, we just acquired this, this kind of obscure firm in the Caribbean and we're sitting around saying, who the heck's going to, going to lead it. And, and the epiphany came to him and that coffee came back to me and said, you know what? There's the guy that raised his hand, and I think he's probably totally underqualified. He'll be totally over his skis, but he's got a passion for it. Um, and so, long story short, that coffee created a moment of remembrance for him that then um, was my first opportunity to lead. And it happened to be the, an opportunity to lead in an emerging market that um, probably grew me by 12 years in terms of you know the dynamics on the ground. Wow. So, you relocated to... Kingston, Jamaica. Yep. Yep. How, how old were you though. at the time? I was, um, golly, mid twenties, um, uh, or early twenties, wow. early mid twenties. Um, so 24, 25 and, um, <laughs> you know, classic thing. Didn't check with my wife, didn't tell her about the coffee. And I said, I gotta yeah, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. I may have raised my hand and said something, didn't think anything was going to come from it, but we need to move in a month to, uh, to Kingston, Jamaica. And, and that was, and that was it. No kids, luckily. So it was a little bit easier. But wow. Yeah. So a couple of things come to me to, to my mind. You seem like you you were you had an internal clarity, maybe not a, a complete vision on what you wanted, but an idea that you wanted to express enough. And, and, that, and that takes courage. I think a lot of leaders don't have that confidence to do that. They're not willing to float these ideas by, by their upper leaders and take the time to get clear and then express that to people. And if I think people fall into this trap of, they want their boss to read their mind yes. uh, or, or express that. And they are, aren't thinking that consciously, but they're like, yeah, my boss should know what I want to do. And you, at, at, and, and I, I know I had that feeling, uh, but you in your twenties, you need had the courage to do that. And man, that was really that's really freaky how that idea actually <laughs> that moment changed your fruition but, for your boss. Yeah. You know, what's crazy now is I experienced on the flip side as a leader, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you know, we got to demystify this a little bit, right? We think that, and even not people in their twenties, I mean, even, even people, you know, some of our, you know, people in their forties and fifties, they, they think that, that, um, that these leadership groups or executive committees that ever sit around and have all these structures built to know exactly, you know, we, you know, the ladder and all these things we refer to when, when you really peek behind the curtain, you know, us as leaders, the biggest thing we're desperate for are people with conviction, you know, because mm -hmm. we're dealing with so many things, you know, businesses are so dynamic, growth verticals happen, the business changes. And so, you know, um, for us to have that running knowledge or people coming in with conviction and passion saying, hey, I want to do this. And I know that if I can get there, I'll be valuable. Mm -hmm. That's music to our ears. You know, I think I think what frustrates, you know, leaders or, or myself in my seat right now the most is having to pull that out of people. Right. Because um, mm -hmm. or because, you have to spot the talent. You're yeah. like, hey, if you think you can do this. Yeah. Raise your hand. Yeah, Tell we me. love it. And, you know, it's a typical response. Is, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Can I? Yeah. I think the, the one thing I've learned, you know, if I have that desire and frustration as a leader, 
you know, I have to create an environment where that, um, where that's freely known, where people feel safe to raise their hand um, and say the most audacious idea. I want your job. I want, you know, whatever. And to be able to have those dreams because um, I'm a massive believer that um, that conviction is the greatest currency, you know, we can have in creating a thriving employee base. And so um, no one, you know, but you can only know about the conviction your people have if they feel free to express it. And uh yeah. That's, yeah, so you know. when you talk to your people about conviction, uh, and you want and you want to see that, you know, you think that's a positive trait, and and maybe they're not familiar with that word and and how it appears in leadership. How do you describe it to them? Yeah, well, it starts with um, it starts with what it's not for me, you know, um, and so so you know, standing up for me as a leader and saying, hey, you know, growing ten percent is you know the most important thing on the planet here. You know that that infers my conviction, right? So what we stand mm-hmm. up and say the mission is, um, is really what is going to communicate conviction rather than you know some tagline or or sort mm-hmm. of gimmicky thing. And so it's kind of chicken and egg for me. So obviously we all have goals. I mean, um, you know, we all have you know mandates to hit, and we're a publicly traded company, and you know we have to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, you know, you know what starts first. And for me, conviction starts first. So when I stand up, you know, my message is, look, you know, my mission is for you guys to thrive. We're going to spend more time here than with our families. Um, and hopefully you're going to be here for the rest of your working years. And so um, you need to be thriving. You need to be in an environment and help me foster an environment where this is dynamic, engaging, fun. You go home a better spouse, friend, Mm-hmm. Um, partner, because if that happens and you guys are thriving, we will hit that 10% goal. We're not going to back into it through gimmicks or artificial means, which we can certainly do. That's not that hard. Um, but if we want to sustain it, mm-hmm. that's the mission. And so when they hear me talk from a heart level, I think it frees them to talk at a heart level to say, okay, Kevin, if that's the mission and you want me to thrive, um, here's how I'm going to personally thrive. Um, and as much as I think people fall in love with our business and, you know, love every ounce of what we do in in the world of human capital and risk management, um, what we do is just a medium for them to, um, to feel engaged and to, and to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's something different that they may have a passion for helping people. And so our service teams, you know, you know, have, are thriving when they feel like they're totally connected to our clients that way, or, or a conviction and passion to win, whatever it is. So it starts with me and what it's not. And it kind of goes from there, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think you're really challenged. What I'm hearing is, man, that's, and I'm just trying to imagine myself an employee in Gallagher, listening to that. And I'm like, man, I don't, you don't hear, I didn't ever in my years in corporate, I never really heard from the leaders like that. I heard the 10% or higher a yeah. lot but not who do you need to be? Yeah. You want to become at a personal level. And if you can become this person and you can grow to this level, the numbers will come with it. Um, so it's, I guess, yeah, you know, like you said, chicken, the egg really resonated with me. It's you need to become to hit the 10%, not hit the 10%. And then you can see what happens next. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about it in your world or my world. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, dealing with a lot of employers, right, as our client base. And their biggest struggle is is that cycle of replacing employees. And we can argue yeah. it's compensation. Yeah. 
We can argue it's, you know, it's market factors. But at the end of the day, I think there is the possibility of being what I always call the transcendent operation. And, and I define transcendent operation as mm-hmm. it's um, it's the apple to the orange, right? It's clearly for some reason above the norm. And my passion always was, I think we can do that in corporate America. Now, I have to be part of a company, which is why I've been, you know, it's, it's the only place I've ever been that allows me to lead that way, which is what Gallagher does well. But from there, um, you know, it is absolutely centered upon um, this idea that 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 we can sustain highs and lows of economic shifts. We can sustain not getting comp perfect if people are invited into building what I would call that transcendent operation. So I think a big piece I've learned over time is that, um, you know, it's interesting. You always hear leaders often say, you know, w- you know, um, Gallagher's building this or Ben's building this or, you know, our CEO is, you know, building this instead of saying we're building this. The only time you hear the we're building this piece is in the entrepreneurial world, right? Like we're this tribe or, you know, a privately held company and we're building it. Um, Mm -hmm. But we can do that in our world as well. And so inviting people in to build something transcendent that then perpetuates growth is always the vision for me. And, And so, um, Come help us build that thriving environment. Come, come join us, lock arms and do that. Um, and then, and then, you know, we're going to enjoy that success together and be proud, not of our comp when we're sitting on the rocking chair at retirement age. We're not going to be proud of the 401k. Those are all great things, but we're going to say, can you believe it? I built that alongside Kevin. I was an account executive. He was a area president. Whatever it is, we built that together and we showed a better way of doing it. That's what's going to keep people engaged. That's what's going to create better than 10% growth. Um, but we just don't often talk that way, I feel like. so. Yeah, it's hard when you're del- trying to deliver on immediate results and make the number and you're like, oh man, I forgot to include everybody in the conversation and the beginning of this thing. Right. And it's just, you just start narrowing down their little piece of the pie. And you're like, hey, just do, you do that report, you do this, you do this. And you're kind of directing, and that goes into the area of management versus what you're talking about, which is leadership. And you said transcendent leadership, which to me means it transcends generations, it transcends quarters, and it inviting people to be a part of something that's so much bigger than themselves. Yeah, it's everything. And uh, man, it's... uh, it's challenging to do under the pressure. And the higher you go, I mean... You've got a level, probably a lot of um, levels of people sort of in the organization. What do you do to to maintain or, or get that trans message of transcendent leadership to the the front line of the business? Yeah, and that that is the hardest part. I mean, like I said, I mean, I you know I certainly am grateful to exist in an environment where there's there's a truly open um, nature to being able to express you know how you want to lead and, and the freedom to do mm-hmm. it. That being said, there's still pressure and results and timelines and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, I think the biggest piece of it is um, it comes back to that word of conviction is when times mm-hmm. when times are tough and you have those crossroads moments of saying, you know what, um, I could totally cover myself and hit that number by sacrificing just one of those tenants we described. Right. I'll make uh-huh. it up the next time. No big deal. Um, but you have to be OK with failure. Um, and, um, you know, in order to preserve, um, that, that mission. And so 
um, in those moments and in those hard conversations, when you're being asked to do something um, or, or asked to hit, you know, a number that's going to behoove you and you'll get the glory for it or whatever, or to say, look, I'm building something with such conviction that I'm not okay sacrificing it. So we may not hit that number, but I'm telling you, um, it's going to create us hitting the numbers time after time, after time, after time. Um, once we get this right, um, you know, early on, I made those sacrifices. I didn't have that full conviction yet. And, you know, managing upward and talking upward was, you know, intimidating and those sorts of things. But, but it was funny once I developed the fortitude to do it and you say it, you realize people go, Hey, you know, it's still, we don't love it, but I love that you have passion and conviction about it. And we'll trust you to do that because you are, you're so amped up about this. Um, so it's funny how that can make those conversations a little bit, you know, easier. I was just thinking, yeah, well, last time I did it, I got a one-way ticket to Kingston, Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My wife. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's created really? a lot of opportunities, you know? Yeah. Right? Well, it's interesting, you know, uh, by the way, did you enjoy Blue Mountain Coffee? Oh, when you're uh, down yeah. There? I'm a coffee guy. Um, having it from the source was an amazing thing. And um, and by the way, interestingly enough, just quickly, I mean, Kingston, Jamaica, right? Um, cross-cultural differences. And what does it mean to, you know, my leadership playbook, which I didn't have one, but, you know, all the thoughts in my mind at that time, mm-hmm. what's it going to mean, you know, down there? And none of the buzzwords, none of the corporate stuff, none of the playbook was 1% relevant to, you know, the situation on the ground. But what was interesting is despite all the differences and me being an outsider and me, you know, I had hair then, which was interesting, but I, I still looked like I was, you know, 15 uh. years old, you know, what still resonated amongst different um, um, cultures and languages was the idea of you are going to spend more time here than with your family. You are going to work um, and provide for your um you know, for your family for many, many years and you want to thrive. And it didn't matter if I was in Kingston, Jamaica or, or, or anywhere else, mm. the connection there to say, you're exactly right, um, mm. was there. And so that truly anchored all these things we've been talking about was actually that time on the ground there to realize that. Really, so really a, appealing at a personal level, making work personal for people. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, we know and, what a motivator. And there's debates about that, right? You hear it, you know, hey, you know, so I'll use the word family. People say, don't, you know, don't use the word family because, you know, whatever. But um, but if the heart is there and there's authenticity um, about me truly, truly delivering on um, the idea that um, that you are going to thrive and that is a non-negotiable, mm-hmm. um, then people go, yeah, this is a family. It's a work family. It's not my family family, but this is something I could be really proud and invested in because I'm going home better um, than when I came in. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. And what do you do in those moments where you know, you've cast this positive vision, but you need to break break ways or, or, or part ways with somebody. They need, they need to go pursue their career elsewhere because it's just not a fit. But yet you've projected this family environment and you've created a, like a family culture 
in a lot of ways. How, how do you handle those conversations? Yeah. Um, so I, those are two buckets for me. Um, the first is, you know, um, I've always believed that we have to have a set of non-negotiables that we operate by that creates, um, it creates self-accountability, it creates mission, yeah. it creates everything. And so for me, those are these three H's that are just, you know, in my mind constantly, which is heart, hustle, and humility. And um, that's essentially the cost of entry and the cost of staying in our operation, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and we define those every single year. Heart's that conviction-based stuff we've talked about. Hustle is, um, is, is exactly what, you know, what it says. And humility is internally and externally how we operate amongst each other and, and with our clients. But, you know, if we have anybody violate those, those character non-negotiables that are the foundation for us building that, that thriving operation that we've been talking about, then that's easy. Right. Because we've invited you in to build something. We're building it on this foundation mm-hmm. and and you just you just um, are rejecting it. The harder ones is when someone is is working their butt off in that environment, championing those themes. And then you have to make a decision. Look, I think um, I think if we've done our job creating the environment we've discussed, then it's a safe place to have that conversation as hard as it is. Mm-hmm. But I was fortunate enough to watch a lot of leaders before me transition people well. Um, and that meant, you know, doing everything they could to set them up for success in their next season. And so the phone calls they made to other employers, the recommendation letters, the advocacy, I saw pretty consistently and, and that totally impacted hmm. how I handle the situation. So we want people to transition well, and we're going to be their biggest fans um, in their next season of life, whatever it is. It makes sense. It's, it, it seems uh, aligned with the with the family atmosphere. Like, hey, sometimes the the yeah. students going off to college. All right, we're gonna support you. We're we're gonna move you up there and get you situated. Exactly, and let you start your next gig. Yeah. Um, so, once the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth all down the road? Yeah, um, you know, this is you know. The twist was, you know, I, there's been multiple times, but I think about one time in specific where I was asked to to step into an operation that was that was struggling, right? It kind of needed a turnaround, um, and 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 there were some issues that preceded me that were not the fault of any single one of those people working in that operation, right? Um, they had been um, they'd been put in a bad spot. And, um, and I wanted to see every single one of those people see this transcendent operation, right? And there's a real danger sometimes um, in, in having, you know, people call it a savior complex or, or, or just absolutely trying, you know, to, um, to back into every single person staying and doing well. And, um, and I was standing up, espousing mm-hmm. all of these things that we've been talking about, but yet engaging with people that were really important to the success, the immediate sustainability of the business mm-hmm. um, that were espousing none of it. Um, right. Mm-hmm. They were um, they were not the great fit. And I let those people um, stay on and stay on and stay on and stay on in a way um, that affected my credibility. Right. With the team, you know, on one hand, they're saying, look, you stand up and you say all these things. But yet, um, you know, um, right in front of your face 
are complete opposites of that. And, um, and you don't have the fortitude to do something about it. And that was really true um, mm-hmm. during, during those years is that, mm-hmm. you know, I would have been supported to move on from those people and, and, um, and get healthy, but I got so focused on the triage. I got so focused on the immediate, like, 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 like you said earlier that I, um, that I violated my own non-negotiables. And it's funny how as a leader, you can rationalize it, right? You don't understand all the things I'm juggling, you know, you, you guys do this, but I got other stuff going on. You can't even imagine. And yeah, it's just yeah. not true. It's just not true. <laughs> and so um, it was funny, uh-huh. just like anything else, when it finally happened, you had all these people coming in going, what took you so long? What's wrong with okay. you? Right. And, uh, and so I've, I, um, you know, those, you know, unexpected twist of, of taking on something that was kind of in fire mode, but then also, you know, a failure of leadership that I learned a lot from. Yeah. What a valuable experience to have. And I love the fact, and I can hear, I mean, you bring a lot of passion to your leadership vision. I don't think anybody can listen to this and be like, yeah, he's clearly, Kevin, he's passionate about it and, you know, and leading others, but sometimes you cast a vision and not everybody is going to buy into that vision. Um, right. And what are you going to do? Like if they're not going to commit, yeah, they got to, they got to move on. And it's not easy, especially if you like, man, I, I can do this. I, I feel like you have a real can do attitude. I can see if I just try a little harder, if I just communicate that vision a little more, if I give them more support, and sometimes right. people are just not going to do it. What is so having gone through that situation where your leadership medal was tested? What's your advice for leaders who you know they've cast their vision, they're talking to their employees, and they're some are buying in and they just see that some are not? What like what what's your advice in those moments for them? Yeah, I think um I think the advice is um to always state the source. You know, I think I I think what I see often is that, is that for some reason, and even myself, we have all of that passion and conviction. And so you would think that I would be so aware and so plugged in and tuned in to um, people that are either on the bus or off the bus. But I think what happens, especially in bigger organizations is that that stuff gets masked. And I'm a big believer Mm -hmm. in unmasking things and things get masked by a performance review, like a, like a generic performance re, you know, re, re, review process or just processes in general where, you know, I may have a, a feeling, especially when you lead more and more people, you can't be on the ground and as intimate mm. as you would like, but you, but you're hearing, Hey, he's, you know, uh, got a satisfactory or about, you know, whatever the sort of process driven things are that you just don't feel the acute nature of it as much as you should. And so I've learned that I have to set up processes and protocols on the intrinsic side, which is both myself and my leaders formally checking in at the heart and non-negotiable level, if that makes sense. Right. So, you know, for example, you know, how could it be that you could have a, you know, um, and, you know, a high performance uh, rated person that's a cultural cancer, like, shouldn't that somehow feed its way into that process, but it doesn't. Yeah, I've seen you know? that. Right. And so, <laughs> yes. and, and when you draw it back to yeah. how could that happen, it was all masked by how we are, you know, formally checking in. And so I realized that 
Although that's the only way I know how to check in, which is good and bad because, you know, it's um, I'm totally on one side of it is that um, you have to set forth and push a vision and a protocol with your um, direct reports to say, I need you to be checking in on this level. And I'm going to be asking you sort of, you know, from a, from a 360 perspective, how people are feeling um, and are engaging or being led by so-and-so and and, and is their effect related to our non-negotiables of the three H's or anything else? Is that affecting that positive or is the net negative? And it's crazy sometimes when that said person was never on my radar screen, but when we do that, they go, Oh, massive net negative. Everybody says it. Um, and you're going, I would have, you know, that same person, if we didn't find that out, could have got the next promotion if things were masked to a level that's unhealthy. Yeah. Kicking the can down the road. Some people call it the Peter principle. Yeah. People get promoted to their highest level of incompetence, you know, all these things. Yeah. And I, I love it. I think it's a real, I think it's a real takeaway from the interview today for me and hopefully for the leaders today is to really think about that process that you've got. Um, unmask the real performance and not just their performance, but what you're saying, their impact on the culture and their right reports, you know, things at a very granular level. And, and those three H's, I think, are a great, great check in. So, Kevin, um, man, such a good one today. What's your parting thought for our listeners? You know, it's um, it's the heart, you know, and I don't say that in a fluffy way. Um, you know, I see people that um, that when they're not at work, they are leading well in their environments. They're leading their families well. They're leading at church or civic engagements, you know, um, and they, ha- they have vision and they want to build stuff. They're doing that in so many areas of their life. Um, and yet we don't offer them that same opportunity in the corporate world sometimes. And that's crazy. And, 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 mm-hmm. and if you're a result person, it's exponentially crazy. And so um, understand that. You know, these people are doing this, you know, you know, we think, oh, we got to teach them this and we got to, you know, equip them. Yes, we do. We want to support our people, but they're doing this. They're leading and having deep conversations with spouses and family members and they're leading um, nonprofits that we don't know. I mean, so just invite those people um, into the journey, have those Mm non-negotiables and the impact will be insane. I promise you that. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it from Kevin (laughs) today. Kevin, thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.